Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is our podcast where we discuss 25 of our favourite movies from any given decade. This is our fourth volume where we are discussing 25 movies from the 1980s, a decade where I was not alive yet. Uh, this is our 94th episode, barreling rapidly towards the end of this podcast in general, maybe possibly. We are, of course, discussing 1987's broadcast news, written and directed by one James L. Brooks. I am Ben Phillips, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Waters. How are you? you this fine morning matthew yeah i'm good uh I, it, it's raining a lot and there's thunder at times i think here the thunder is coming later you've already had it right yes we had thunder and lightning as i woke up this morning so. wonderful doesn't at all feel like pathetic fallacy and like this <laughs> drama a, a, a brewing uh but plenty of drama in broadcast news though oh so much drama so much drama so you watched this for the first time last night. I watched I it for the first time a few years ago when Blank Check covered it because uh, yeah. they did their James L. Brooks miniseries. I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, I th- I think it's exactly the kind of movie that we're missing in today's culture of just mm-hmm. let's get good actors and make them do kind of a a character drama. Yeah. Whereas I feel like yeah, a lot of the, the nowadays... plot is completely incidental. It's just here's these three people we we all like equally ish. And honestly, the plot of more movies should be desperately horny people <laughs> yeah, exactly that is the plot is like will these three people have sex and ultimately by the end of it it's like no yeah like... But honestly like we talk about it all the time how like modern action movies have become so sexless and there are all these perfect bodies that are just observed and through a non-horny lens it is more from an aesthetic you know like ah oh, look at the perfect man with his 900 abs and no one fucks and this movie holly hunter is so horny she cries all the time i mean she's also just you know deeply unfulfilled she, she, in her life but yeah, exactly. i'm reading it and she cries all the time because she's so horny she keeps throwing herself at these like emotionally unavailable and kind of vaguely shitty men and kind of like knows that she's better than everyone in the room, which I think is the other yeah. reason is like she she's basically just living her entire life as like, oh, I am grossly overqualified and too good for this. Yeah. And I have to deal with all these fuckers who like yeah, she's, she's trapped in a in a in a prison of brilliance, leaping straight into it, and we can back back out back out in a minute. But like the simple character trait of like she produces her taxi drivers and tells them exactly which route to take, what speed, you know, all of this, and at the end, for her to finally catch herself and be like, you know what, take whatever route you want, and then a few seconds go by and it's like. No, but you should go this way. Like that is that is a perfect like staying true to your character, writing human three dimensional flawed characters, and you know like that is the spirit of humanity right there. There are people that are you know she is who she is. Like, I mean that's that's the thing. What I love about this movie is so often you get movies where people are too perfect or people are too like cartoonishly evil, and like every single person in this movie is flawed, but they're flawed in like realistic ways. Like she is too much a perfectionist, and yeah. Al Brooks is like a traditional nice guy, but he catches himself just enough in it that like you can tell why they're still friends even if yeah. there is just this kind of like unspoken tension in the entire the charity of their yeah, relationship he's, and he's a little bit snobby he's a little bit incelly but not in a way that makes you hate him no no in a in a in a human way yeah <laughs> and 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 then you know william hurt is to them he's dumb like that's my favorite part about it that they treat him like he's a 
fucking toddler. And it's like, well, he's clearly very clever by, like, normal standards. It's just you guys are, like, Aaron Sorkin-esque perfect characters (laughs) when it comes to, you know, being, like, flawlessly intelligent and witty and everything. I I made it 30 seconds. (laughs) I mean, it was was funny watching this last night with my partner, who... Like she hadn't seen it before, but she had previously worked as in journalism, in, yeah. in broadcast journalism as well. So she's seen yeah. the inside of a production room and all the rest of it, and she was basically screaming just, at each other. Yeah. Basically, she was like, "My entire life wanted to be a journalist. Did did, uni- did journalism at universities?" And then, like, when she ended up in this like professional environment, was like, "Oh no, this is toxic as fuck, and yep. I need to, I need to get out." And yeah. was like, like again, the, the Holly Hunter esque dream of like becoming a producer, but just when she saw what it was like, and I was just like, "No, I." Yeah, I, not not for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't worked in that environment, but like you hear this kind of thing all the time that like you know there's such a high barrier to entry, and then when you finally get in there, it's just so much people just fucking screaming at each other and and like high expectations and and people's careers over in a second because of an interaction and working ridiculous conditions and everything i mean it's certainly portrayed as as very chaotic and i don't want to harp on about the newsroom and aaron sorkin i I am i'm the guy at the site who likes sorkin and likes the two shows that people make fun of but like it was unavoidable to me that like i i vaguely knew what this movie was but like to actually see it play out i'm like oh this is like the exact feeling I got when I watched the newsroom for the first time and you're like seeing like how they produce in real time kind of thing and like this this peek behind the curtain and I would imagine at the time nothing like this had been shown on this scale like to, yeah, to show is, the like warts like, and all chaos of it. Yeah, like obviously this is still relatively early on in kind of like the, the trajectory of like what television news is. This is when news is like a maybe two times three times a day thing but like yeah. it's still like you go and obviously like we we get into the 90s and the 2000s and it becomes a 24-hour rolling yeah, news thing yeah. where like we get to this just culture of everything is news all the time and we're going to like exaggerate everything and yeah. i mean this movie gets into a little bit of the difference between print journalism and and television journalism mm-hmm. and how they talk about like well they have to make money in print journalism why are they telling us for tr- uh, us off for trying to make money yeah, but yeah. obviously like print journalism is where all of the great stuff in investigative journalism came from like that yeah. is where like all the stuff about nixon and watergate was coming from print journalism and, yeah, like and it's, you you have to come up this way kind of thing there's also like there is that comment in there that like they're shocked at the time, and now I feel like if you've got anything resembling media literacy, you know this. When they're talking about, I think it's like two people from the White House, where one will be like, oh, we've heard this, and then the other one gets to report on it as if it's real, kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> and you hear that all the time. Like, Fox News is famous, some people say, which is just their excuse to just say completely baseless things. Even to get to like what was happening in the UK, where like Dominic Cummings had the, te- had the, the numbers of multiple UK journalists, and we just text them things yeah and just leak your own narratives and control your own news and we have openly one way or the other news networks now and like how that is allowed i really don't know well it's because they're a source and they can report it as the sources (laughs) say but like obviously the sources have an agenda in this case because of the way that this relationship works in news and oh i just mean i don't know how you can be so open as a network either direction and like you know the bbc is 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 very clearly right wing at its core but like if you compare it to fox news yeah it is like 
a gold standard and and that's the thing they live off that idea this narrative that hasn't been true for quite a while now that like they are the gold standard of objectivity and and fairness and everything it's like yeah by comparison (laughs) yeah like like that's why gb news is allowed to exist in the uk because there are enough people pissed off that the bbc isn't doing enough like fox news or whatever yeah like they're already right wing but they're not right wing enough so here's like just open fucking they are they are pierce morgan doing a donald trump like yeah, they are making the gestures enough to be fair and balanced, to mm. use the Fox News quote or whatever, but like yeah. still fundamentally editorially are being designated by Conservative Party donors and Conservative Party like people yeah. who are put into to run the news or whatever. Like the amount of British journalists who are even though they'll never say it, are openly <laughs> frequent voters for the Conservative Party yeah. is like n- not that that should be enough to rule you out, but it it does temper your worldview enough. Yeah. in these situations where you get to the point where like we're still bringing up in this country jeremy corbyn mm-hmm. and you're like shut up he hasn't been involved in politics now for for three years like, yeah nothing. like you see those onion-esque headlines of like somehow this is all jeremy corbyn's fault kind of thing it's like the man has just been living on his allotment for like three years now since it all blew up if um, you can't tell british politics is at the forefront of my mind at the moment to, yeah. to date this episode our prime minister Second Prime Minister this year stepped down. Um, <laughs> Unbelievably, the strategy of saying and doing nothing may work out spectacularly for Keir Starmer. <laughs> Just yeah. letting everything explode around it. But yeah, I mean, like, James L. Brooks, obviously, I mean, I want to kind of, like, compare the two of them together, James L. Brooks and Eric Sorkin. So James L. Brooks <laughs> took years to kind of, like, research this stuff. He directed um, 1983's Terms of Endearment. Obviously, he is most well-known for a lot of his TV work. So, like, obviously, he co-created the Mary Tyler Moore show, co-created Taxi, around, like, it's coming up now. He must have been doing both of these things at the same time, because the Tracy Ullman show starts in 1987 at the same time that this movie begins. <laughs> and obviously, Tracy Ullman show, you, you might have heard of a little spin-off of that show <laughs> um i think some little shorts of, Does of something he called... exclusively have his name all over the simpsons because it is a product of the tracy ullman show which is helped... far more in his wheelhouse when you actually know about his career than the yes, simpsons so, is. yeah so obviously he co-creates this and then i think I, I can't remember what the exact story is, but obviously he is a developer on The Simpsons, but whether or not that is him sat there, like, he commissions the sketches or whatever it is that that, um, that Grady does for the Tracy Altman show, and then and then helps develop it into a, a into a sitcom model, because obviously he, he does sitcoms, and yeah. The Simpsons was originally short, but I, I can't, he doesn't have any writing credits on no, The Simpsons. No, I, I really don't think he actually worked on it day-to-day in any capacity. I think it's just that thing where, like, if you are involved in the creation, you forever get your name all over it. And they make fun of him a little bit here and there. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it, it's, it's wild because it's a name that, like, a generation of people know and they've never seen the stuff that he's, like, actually... <laughs> I'm just trying to see. I'm just trying to see how many episodes he's actually written. Because obviously he has, I think he has got writing credits on Simpsons. Obviously he's got a credit on the movie, and he's got credits on some of the shorts that have come out fairly recently. But it is very much like he is just write the Albert Brooks episodes. (laughs) Like, well, that's the thing. Because and obviously he's also a producer on on the Critic, and like he had to come out when when McGrady was like in the press for the um, A Star Is Burns episode. And was just livid that they were crossing over with this like upstart comedy show from James L. Brooks or whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah, like he is he is a TV guy who had success in movies, and then basically after this point, it's funny to think that like he carries on doing movies, and apart from as good as it gets, never really has the same success mm, yeah. again. Well, that's what I mean. Like 
he had this whole ass like really successful career and then like to our generation of people he's just one of the names at the beginning of the simpsons who Mm -hmm. like you've never seen anything he does and then to another new generation who don't even fucking watch The Simpsons, <laughs> they have no clue who this guy is. Yeah, like I mean, maybe they're finding his movies, but he, ultimately the footnotes in his career feel like like a really good TV career. He wins Jack Nicholson two Oscars for Terms of Endearment mm-hmm. and for As Good as It Gets, and then he hasn't made a movie in twelve years. But like he's still he's still like kind of like invaluable in the comedy landscape. Like he is the person who gives Cameron Crowe and Wes Anderson their, their starts. Like mm. he's an executive producer on say anything and on bottle rocket. He produced edge of 17, which was that fantastic mm. movie from a couple of years ago with, with Harrison and Hayley Seinfeld. Yeah. That's really good. But like, it really is just a very quiet career after this. And obviously like he's got a series of notorious kind of big flops. Like I'll do anything is notorious for having two cuts. One of which is like a comedy drama and the other, which is a musical, which is really hard to find. But if you look in the right places, you can Spanglish was, was the the first, (laughs) (laughs) the first big Adam Sandler dramatic project after punch drunk love. But yeah, like this, this feels like it's the kind of like this 1987 to 99 feels like the peak of his career. And then after that, he's kind of more satisfied to kind of like help people, start their start their careers he's he's satisfied he makes more money than sin most likely from the simpsons that like he he doesn't have to work (laughs) in any way shape or form ever again because of all of that stuff and you compare that with sorkin who starts off writing movies in kind of like the adverse effect or the adverse flip to to james v has wild success in tv early on but obviously bails on the west wing and then basically every tv project after the west wing is kind of a high profile flop and a beloved Matt Waters favorite. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what I mean. Like he's got he's got Sports Night and he's got West Wing. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, and then after we, that, we is... we talked. You know, when we did a few Good Men, like I have acknowledged that, like, okay, yeah, I see the stuff that people were saying all along um, that I was maybe just oblivious to on first watches. But like, I still maintain that, like, on a moment to moment basis, most of those shows are good can still like turn it on for like specific scene when it's like him basically sock puppeting his characters to say his republican beliefs you know that sucks but when it's like this man and this woman have drama together like you know he's still very good at that shit the thing is i much prefer his movie scripts like sure. like obviously sports night west wing are kind of like, in the same way that turns in demon and broadcast news are like unimpeachable and then after that, everything is kind of like there's moments of the old James L. Brooks. There's moments of the old Sorkin yeah, in, yeah. in Studio 60 in the newsroom. And obviously the flip side of this is that when Sorkin becomes a director, we will finally get to find out that he's actually terrible as a director and undercuts a lot of what he's good about writing about. But yeah. And he's yeah, wanting... he wrote, like, you know, maybe the best movie of this millennium. Yes, um... his, his one, two, three punch of Social Network Moneyball Steve Jobs are like three unimpeachable scripts, but in yeah. all those cases, they're being given to better directors than he is. Like, yeah, of course, of course. He's... Fincher, Fincher, Miller and Boyle are all like really good directors who are able to do stuff with it, but then you get to like Trial of Chicago 7 and being the Ricardos where he's just <laughs> not good at presenting his, his information. And it is funny to yeah. just kind of like, they are both coming from this point of view of like, really good and talented in one medium, transition to another medium, have some really good early successes, but then mm. a lot of what people are still interested in from them after that is their, is their TV or film work on, on the flip side. Like, I think broadcast news is probably the best thing that James L. Brooks has ever been involved in. 
which I'm sure, I mean, obviously not accounting The Simpsons, where like he is. I was going to say Benjamin. <laughs> I mean, The Simpsons is the greatest television program of all time. Okay, cool. I'm, right, co-signed. That is the official <laughs> belief of the real world. On we go. But on the flip side of it, you got like Aaron Sorkin. Like the West Wing is still probably the best thing he's ever done, fun- fundamentally. Even uh, if I... so, I hear yes. <laughs> Isn't it very funny that I haven't seen his biggest best thing? <laughs> Maybe we do that. We, oh, do the first so four se- we do the first four seasons of The West Wing, because obviously then after that, John Wells takes over. Yeah, he's never seen uh, season five onwards. He did a... I haven't... I didn't pay for it or or even illegally acquire it, but on his um, masterclass of, of screenwriting, he's like, I've never seen season five of The West Wing, let's write it together. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that's an insane premise. But anyway. yeah, that's, that's some background on James L. Brooks and Aaron Sorkin, who I feel like they, yeah. they are like two important figures, kind of like just fun to contrast with each other yeah. in this kind of episode, especially with the history that this podcast has with, with Sorkin in particular. <laughs> yeah, I feel that like this movie has more like soppy sentimentality than Sorkin mm. is capable of. Um, oh, yeah, the, the, the core difference is I think, I think Brooks writes female characters. Yeah. more complicated and better than Sorkin does. Yeah, Jane is a more well-rounded human than Harriet or um, Mac, who are just these... You know, he thinks he writes good women because he puts them up on these pedestals of like, oh, she's so much smarter than all of us. But then it's like, but you don't... You sure do like hold a lot of stuff against them and like don't let them like, I think that, be their own the people. The issue with... The issue with Sorkin's writing is quite often characters become a a voice of a point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't think is quite the case in this movie, where like it, the contradictions and the naughtiness and the opinions of all the characters in this movie add up to a real human being. Yes, whereas, whereas quite Sarah often... Paulson is speaking for all of Christianity, and like I, this can be the last time this ever comes up, but like. Again, in Studio 60, you have Sarah Paulson like doing these Holly Hunter impressions. And for years, I'm like, that's funny, and it sure does sound like her, but I do not know those quotes. And I'm like, oh, they're all from this. <laughs> um, so that was very funny. Yes. But yeah, so, um, let's, let's back out. Let's back let's out. back out of this. Let's do some context on this yes. movie. This movie was made, uh, released in December 16th, 1987. It's the last I love a December with... movie that's good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is obviously like the era where like you drop a kind of hopeful awards movie because obviously Terms of Endearment wins Best Picture in its year, and so it's just this weird thing where James L. Brooks becomes like, oh, he's an Oscar darling within his first movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it comes out December uh, December sixteenth, as I said, hundred thirty three minutes long, fifty million dollar budget, filmed over a very long period of time. Where like they I started filming that. it in February of eighty six and finished in April of the next year. And then yeah, it make, ends up making sixty seven point three million dollars. Like not bad for this kind of movie. But Matthew, give me a little bit more detail. What other movies in eighty seven were making bank? Yeah, uh, so you know, you, as you say, it's it's not a bad amount of money. You know, it's not a monster hit, but it's good enough to be. Of the three movies we've covered in 87, it made more than both Raising Arizona and Robocop. Uh, Robocop sitting down at number 17 while Broadcast yeah. News is 11th. Well, I think Robocop makes a little bit more domestically than Broadcast News does ultimately. I am sure, and I am sure that like the, the legs of Robocop have probably made more money than 
anything short of The Simpsons. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is that. But yeah, Broadcast News doesn't quite crack that top ten, which for the year was Fatal Attraction, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Dirty Dancing, The Living Daylights. That's coming up for you. It is, uh, very soon. <laughs> Three Men and a Baby, Good Morning Vietnam, Lethal Weapon, Predator, Moonstruck, The Untouchables is your top ten. That is a really good top 10 it's a really good top 10 like way better than what we get nowadays but it's one of those things where like we did three movies from this year and the thing is like a lot of that 10 could have been on this list and probably was hovering in like maybe piles like yeah if not for the fact that like robocop and terminator are like that smidge more intellectual than predator like i would i would hardcore push for predator um, would you have pushed for predator more if prey had come out like when we were in the crux of building no the list? i don't i don't like to like yeah i would love to have a 10 minute segment on why prey is awesome in a predator episode but like i don't want to put predator on just because of prey um yeah. i really like predator it's just like yeah it it doesn't have that extra layer that the movies that we did I mean, talk it, about it, have. it does have a little bit in terms of like the, the oh i love the like one. i love yeah and like i love the people that again don't get messages where they're like yeah it's just men being men in the jungle there's no like political statement at all it's like yeah like the most hype, ridiculously hyper masculine men you've ever seen just unloading hundreds of bullets impotently at nothing and all getting murdered one by one. That's not yeah. political at all. And Lethal Weapon <laughs> has been covered on the network? Yes. Um, I have been trapped into <laughs> a commitment to do every Shane Black Christmas movie with Mike Thomas uh, at Christmas time, obviously. Uh, we've done uh, The Nice Guys, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Lethal Weapon One and Iron Man Three. I have. I, there are technically three more. <laughs> they get more tenuous. I think Long Kiss Goodnight was supposed to be last year, but we just didn't do it. But yeah, there are like seven technically. Like there is a single shot of a Christmas tree in Last Action Hero. It's like, well, that counts. <laughs> and like, I think in the Last Boy Scout, there is like a a Christmas drawing from one of the kids and like, that counts, that's Christmas. I'm like, come on, guys. So I could be doing that for the rest of my life, apparently. Um, but yeah, Lethal Weapon, also good. We have a slightly better competitor coming up later in the podcast. All right, um, all right. But um, that's I, I, so I have to ask, Moonstruck. Mm. Is it a movie you've seen? Yes. Do you think Cher is better than Holly Hunter? <laughs> no, no one's better than Holly Hunter. Well, I mean, in terms of acting, because obviously Cher wins the Oscar this year yes. for Moonstruck. Yes. And she wins against Holly Hunter. Would you give it to no. Cher? <laughs> I'd give Holly Hunter everything. I'd give her the world. Um, I'd give Glenn Close the Oscar before Cher, personally. And then just to be polite to Meryl, like, you know, she was in a movie. I guess she should win an Oscar. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, that, like, is, that is the other thing we're discussing. We are, of course, discussing the Oscars for this year. So Yes. Um, so the 60th Academy Awards, Broadcast News, ends up with the second most nominations behind The Last Emperor. The Last Emperor had nine. Broadcast News had seven. Those include Best Cinematography, Best Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen, uh, and then, you know, you've got Albert Brooks, Losing to Sean Connery, uh, you have Holly Hunter losing to Cher, you have William Hurt losing to Michael Douglas. These are all great people. <laughs> it doesn't get a Best Director nom, which feels like a tragedy. Uh, but the big one, Best Picture, it is nominated against Fatal Attraction, Hope and Glory, Moonstruck, and The Last Emperor, which The Last Emperor wins. But yeah, you know, I, I, I'm really glad all three actors in this very clear three-hander all got some recognition. The script is great. It is really well shot. 
it is really well edited. That's another one it, it got nominated for. Um, but yeah, where is the best director nom for Brooks? I assume it's because he's already won Best Director at this point. Yeah, exactly. Meryl Streep has won a lot of Oscars, so he's still <laughs> fucking nominated every time she deigns to show up in something. <laughs> oh man, movies were just better back then. Look at all these fucking great movies that are nominated for Oscars. <laughs> I, I know, that's the thing. Is like You look at this and you go, like, there is some level of, like, a lot of these movies are populist movies. Mm. Like, I can't imagine, like, the 2022 equivalent of, like, Moonstruck being even in contention for... Yeah. Um, the Oscars this year, or like, I mean, like, and they don't make movies like Broadcast News. Like, this is a no. movie which, again, it's a, it's a three-hander with nothing overly dramatic happens. It's it's a movie about life and real people. Yeah, it and... almost could be a TV show, but you know, fucking Good Morning Vietnam is is floating around, and all these great movies. Um, Full Metal Jacket is there. Um, <laughs> the Ten Year Lunch, The Wit and Legend of the Algonquin Roundtable, Best Documentary Feature. There's a friend's joke about the Algonquin kids' table, which I now get for the first time. Sorry, that's why I said it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, like this this movie, like I'm I'm so happy. Like that, that's the probably the the most lasting thing from James L. Brooks's kind of like awards career. Is he was just so consistent in getting his lead actors nominations and wins. Yeah, like the fact that he he gets Nicholson the win in 83 mm-hmm. and then he gets all three of these guys nominations and then he gets Nicholson his a second win in the 90s and stuff like that it's just like yeah. really really consistent in fact I mean obviously Jack Nicholson in this movie you have to assume his <laughs> role in this movie yeah. is just yeah just a favor because it really is like you think he's going to stay in the newsroom the entire time and not actually show up in on the yeah, DC set it is, it is actually quite surprising when he does show up so I guess you are wielding his star power in that way and like it's also you know it's star power in real life, but it's also, like, they treat him like a star in the movie because, you know, he's the lead anchor of their, like, main nightly news or whatever. And he is, like, a celebrity when he shows up. And I, I like that as... I like when people wield an actor's real-life persona and, and, and utilise it for their script. Um, but, that, I mean, that's things, yes. He, it, Nicholson's won three Oscars for acting in his time, one third of the Cuckoo's Nest, Terms of Endearment, and As Good As It Gets. So two of them are with James L. Brooks. Mm-hmm. And then obviously this movie, he's just this great kind of like stealth thing. But then you look at the rest of his 87, and obviously this is in the run. Like this is like, he has three movies this year. He's got Witches of Eastwick, which he's fucking phenomenal in. I love him in Witches of Eastwick. Like it's mm-hmm. the, one of the horniest sexy performance I've <laughs> ever seen in a movie ever. And obviously that's also Cher, Pfeiffer, and Sarandon. And then he's also... Weed, which he gets an Oscar nomination for for this year. Yeah, opposite um, Meryl Streep. And, and, yeah, opposite Meryl Streep. And then, and then obviously he gets to parlay this into the biggest paycheck ever seen by Hollywood up to that point. <laughs> like, he takes 88 off, and then he comes back and plays the Joker. Like, yeah. this is... And he gets first billing, he gets percentage of box office, and I think merchandise. Like, to this day, he's making Batman money. And he just yeah. is fucking getting fat not in a pejorative way on a on a yacht eating sandwiches <laughs> like fucking yes man <laughs> um, I mean, I think it is funny just to think of like him in this run where like he is the biggest fucking movie star on the planet he is mm-hmm. like simultaneously able to do big broad movies and also like little tiny cameo roles and then parlays into batman and just yeah yeah, whatever. And then, and then obviously he's been retired since 2010, where he goes out with James L. Brooks. Like James L. Brooks' last movie is also Nicholson's last movie. Mm. There are obviously two people that get along really, really well. Yeah. But... I mean, I promised we were done talking about him, but, like, you know, you, you say that, like, Brooks gets these Oscar nominations for his leads and stuff, and I think 
that's another thing for Sorkin. He he lands these big name actors because I think they're like this is a really good chance for me. This is a this is a good opportunity for me to say very wordy dialogue and prove I'm a good actor, kind of thing. And for better or worse, I think that may have started to turn a little bit because he's just turning in shit for the last <laughs> best part of a decade. I've heard um, good things about his his To Kill a Mockingbird. But oh, obviously, really? that's a that's a play, and then obviously yeah. he does get he, well, he got he's quite a few, right, like, yeah. And he got nominations for for his last two movies at the Oscars. So like he's still getting them. He's not like parlaying them into the wins that no, like. No. No. But if he's he ever still... follows through on that threat to do a social network follow up that is you know fake news and what Facebook has become, it could be the very worst major film you've ever seen in your life, or it could fucking rule. Um, that's the, th- that's it the thing. It depends who directs it. It really is going to be, be suck, like basically. it's going to be one of two ways because like <laughs> the stuff that's happened to Facebook in the last ten years yeah. is kind of the stuff that that is sorking at his worst. <laughs> Misinformation, and we're going to be the bastion of truth. I mean, I mean, so that is to compare. I'm. Um, this is my final comparison. I hope for the newsroom and broadcast news. Sorry, we will where, be done. I promise. <laughs> where broadcast news is a movie, which I mean, Sorkin has said feels like they've got crystal balls. Um, when they're like making these predictions about like where news is going to go, they feel like they're making predictions. Whereas the thing that kind of rankles most, including myself, about the newsroom is it's Sorkin writing. Well, this is what they should have done. Yeah, you're benefiting so much from hindsight because he's doing real news stories. He isn't making yes. up things whole cloth most of the time on the show. So you end up with scenes like the, this. Is how they should have treated the oil spills in the Gulf of Mexico and stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. or or even the insufferable like them on the plane with the. With the <laughs> so news we got Bin Laden for you tonight. Like those those are the bits that rankle. Whereas this movie is like. It takes all of it seriously. Yes, like Gaddafi has mentioned in this movie, but it isn't taking real news and and transposing it into a movie. It's taking hypothetical situations and like how they would be covered and like. Also, the, the... I mean, boy, I can't end. I'm sorry. One handles a rape story better than the other, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, the last thing is like they don't sensationalize the rape story in this movie. The issue with the rape story isn't a well, it is a lapse in journalistic ethics, but it isn't a way in which it minimizes the women. There is no like talk back from the women. It is literally just oh, I can add one shot of me tearing up. Yeah, and and that and, encapsulates the three characters and their worldviews and and why it never worked between any of them in, in one interaction. Like yes, yeah. it feels really. Not out of place because it rules, but like it feels like the movie is ending with like, right, they all get separated, off they all go, and that's the end of your movie. And they're like, just one last, like fucking Columbo, just one last thing. <laughs> and it's this fucking bombshell that like, <laughs> that he did this thing and like it, it, it blows everything up. And I'm like, whoa, but it rules that it's there. This movie, yeah, so like, as you said, I had never seen this movie before. I was confident putting it on the list. I, I've read about it. I've heard about it. It seemed like completely up my alley. And that's before I knew it's got so much in common with the thing we're not talking about anymore. <laughs> um, I'll be straight up with you. First, like, 10, 15 minutes, I was like, I don't know about this. And then it gets really, really, really fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I probably would like those first 15 minutes more now I've seen it for the first time because I'm attached it- to those characters now. That's the thing is like they, they do this legwork of like having these characters come in and oh, like that bit setting I'm cool up. With. Like you know when they're like make like the first joke of the movie is like look at this fucking dum dum who's only good at looking pretty and it's like future news anchor and it's like <laughs> yeah nice like do you have this vendetta again like has he got a friend that like 
work he's a journalist and like he's getting this real life beef between like reporters I, I assume, and well, that's from James them. James L. Brooks, as I said, like spent two years researching this movie, yeah. and he says that he, when he started writing this script, he was like, "I hate all of these characters." And then by the time he finished like <laughs> writing, by the time he'd finished writing it and filming it, he was like, "No, I love them. Like these yeah. are these are my children, my little flawed, flawed yeah, children." Yeah, ultimately, yeah, yeah. yeah, like I like all the stuff with the child actors and stuff. It's just it then you get the stretch where just like everyone is saying an awful lot of words, and mm. like the context seems to be lacking a little bit. And then you do settle into the rhythm of it. It's really speeding you into getting to know these three characters. Obviously, it opens with Holly Hunter doing her speech where, like, no one is paying attention yeah. to anything that she is saying. Just... To the, yeah, like, to then meeting Tom, who we've known as, like, the pretty boy who's, like, looking to get a job as a as a news anchor and then going to her hotel room and just, like, the almost will they, won't they, but then... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the first thing I texted you about, oh, the second thing uh, I texted you about this is like, imagine not fucking Holly Hunter. And like, he just keeps not doing it. Like, the movie keeps putting them in these gloriously well constructed scenes where it's like, they can't not kiss. And yet they don't. Mm. <laughs> like, like, he takes her into the fucking stationary cupboard at one point. And like, wow, this has such undertones. And, like, and yet. The one, the one that they get closest to in the entire movie is the one with her and her and Aaron in um, when they're in South America, and mm. they're like really up in each other's faces after mm-hmm. they've just had this like life or death situation. And yeah. you're like, are you about to like kiss from the adrenaline? And they don't, and that's yeah. that's like it's so good because it is a love triangle, but it's a love triangle that none of them really want to commit to. Ultimately. I think I think their first love is the news. Um... <laughs> Well, I think Tom's first love is himself, but um, yeah, and like, it was quite hard for me to get a read on like, is she desperately in love with Aaron, and Aaron is just like too hoity-toity to ever entertain her, and she's just like desperately sad about that dynamic? Is he hopelessly in love with her, and she doesn't know it because she's oblivious, because she has no social cues, because she's just such a professional? And it's kind of both and neither. Mm. I think they do, they are just these two brilliant people who are like, I th- I think they're just, they greatly admire each other's talent and brains, and like, you know, they are these flawlessly witty, intelligent people. Um, well, I mean, it's like, it's like you hear, like, obviously there are certain jobs where people end up just kind of like falling into bed with each other so stuff like <laughs> stuff like service industry jobs or yeah, yeah, yeah. or like, like like when you're in a high stress environment yes. where you're kind of like very much underappreciated you got to blow and, some steam man yeah exactly and like especially when you're you're working late like you're working late nights there's alcohol mm-hmm. involved like quite frequently it can just happen and this is one of those high stress environments where like if this movie told me that her and Aaron had like slept together like years ago and yeah. then nothing had come of it, I would be like, yeah, sure, that's yeah, what happens. Make, and make perfect sense. And it's why you have Tom saying, hey, can we find out what we're like away from this demonic <laughs> building and this cursed industry kind of thing? That's a valid thing. And that, that none of them end up together is very telling. <laughs> like, yeah. That it is just this, yeah, they'll always remember those high stakes times. and like, oh, what was I thinking when I was briefly having that dalliance with Tom Grunick? Like... <laughs> It's like, well, at the time, he was the sexiest man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, who I hated because he embodied every single thing that I hate about journalism, and she's <laughs> willing to let that go until he does do that thing that that her and Aaron are like stressed about. And like again, it, it is the movie coming full full circle because that is what her speech is about at the start of this movie is her basically going, "We cannot, 
why do we keep employing attractive people to read the news when they don't have an understanding of the news? Because this is where mm. like cracks start to form and stuff like that. And obviously, like Tom makes the right decision at the end of the movie where he's like, I I can be your anchor, but I will not be your head editorial person. I will not be signing off on stories, which is what like Jack Nicholson's character is doing. Like he yeah. is ultimately in charge of all the news stories that get approved or, or declined or whatever it is for he's uh, for the show. Yeah, like for him to admit to her straight away, I would like to understand the news I'm reading out and stuff. And you know, she—it's such a weird dynamic because she's she basically is trying to give a speech about how people like him fucking suck and no one listens to it and everyone likes the like weird video at the end. And then he's just like, "Oh, you're really good," and she's like, "All right, I'll fuck the pretty idiot." And she's like. <laughs> holding the like the headboard in like what she is interpreted as a seductive manner and and he's just not interested at all and is just pouring his soul out to her and she's like no I'm not helping you you're 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 something I feel is truly dangerous but then like there is a sincerity to his request like he does what he's like well if I suck help me be better kind of thing and you do kind of believe him and then the end just reveals <laughs> He will always like, be that person. Yeah, when when he is given the chance to do it on his own, and they put it in his mind, he's like, "Yeah, there's nothing wrong with this." I almost cried. Mm-hmm. So what's and that's, it is that just like slow yeah. whittling down of ethics that like we we end up in the place that we are nowadays, where it is just like we have to make this sensational, we have to make money from this, we have mm-hmm. to put it on all the time, and this movie is predicting that slide. I mean, maybe it is happening, obviously. Neither of us would have been watching the news in 1987. Not quite. <laughs> um, I'm not watching the news in 2022. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny to think of, like, you... Obviously, the idea of, like, old-timey news person is mm-hmm. so embodied by the BBC. Like, yeah. it is Stuffy Shirt, who is literally just reading off a teleprompter. And, and like, I guess for America, that's Walter Cronkite. That's, you know, these towering pillars of journalism, um, <laughs> which they just don't have anymore. Yeah. Um, and then you get to... So. You, get to you get to this movie where what happens is when Aaron is going to do his anchor position, mm-hmm. and, like... Tom's first advice to him pretty much is don't just read the story. Yeah. Like you need to, you need to sell it. You need if to put you catch yourself of... reading, stop. <laughs> and like, yeah, punch your one point of every sentence. And and and, and, it, and fundamentally it does make it good more engaging to watch than yeah. someone just dry reading off the news. But the thing is, it does start to go like you have a one idea and you punch it through to the story and stuff like that. And it's like, doesn't that sort of mean that you're editorializing? Yeah, who's a picking bit? that one idea? I think that scene is so important though, because like they spend the whole fucking movie putting him. And I mean, you see it already when you see him get the gig for the first time. When it's that like, I don't know if it's like Thanksgiving weekend or it's some. They're they're all at like a luncheon on like a Sunday. Yeah, or whatever, and, like, and... and Nicholson's on a yacht somewhere or something <laughs> and they're like oh we've got to go live today and tom fucking nails it it's so fucking good it's like, so good like and like this is where like yeah he's a monster but he's like he's damn talented and like yeah he's, he's good at what he does holly hunter is incredible at her job yeah like like watching her in the scene is a real joy yeah and then you have like what Brooks is good at, or like what Aaron is good at, which is he comes in with like little facts and just punches up everything because he's good at the copy. He's good yeah. at like no, nailing those little bits. And it's watching these three characters in tandem, and you're like, boy, like imagine a newsroom run by these three people. Exactly, like with the, the with... alternate world where at the end they don't 
scatter them to the breeze, they get to take the whole show over together and, like, Aaron has had his shot at Anchor finally, has realised, I'm actually not good at this and it's good to get that out of my system and, like, I admire what Tom tried to do for me and, like, I'm good with it and, like, I should help him be the best him he can be but they can't get to that place and also that's just not how life works. Like, that's too romantic. I mean, what's um, the what's the line that like the head of the news says, and like he goes to goes to uh, Jane and goes like, it must be nice to always believe you know better, to always think you're the smartest person in the room, and she's yeah. just like, no, it's awful. Yeah, yeah, and like that <laughs> should be an, an incredibly unlikable character. No one likes a know-it-all. No one likes someone who's always right. And yet, I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's she. I she. I want the world for her. Yeah. She is she, like that's. I think this movie does the balance of. She's just good enough at her job that it make like you buy that she would be this full of herself. But then also like she is so deeply flawed. I mean, I, I text you my favorite line for the movie, which is, <laughs> apart from socially, you're my role model, which yeah. is just a chef kiss line. Like a wonderful line by Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack perpetually misspelled, Cusack. misspelled in the credits with just the K, no C. Yeah, John is in here somewhere, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah, yeah he's. A, I think he's one of the people who like is angry, messaging about something at some point. Yeah, yeah. I guess I should reveal to you now my favorite line in the movie. Yes, because please. I admit that, that is an all-time line, but not my favorite. And it's when they're firing everyone. And he's like, "Is there anything I can do for you?" He's like, "Well, I sure hope you die soon." <laughs> I was like, "That's incredible." Yes, that <laughs> it's delivered my... just so dry. It's probably a better delivered line than written line. I think is the is the difference yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, my my partner was uh, very much in love with that line as well. Um, <laughs> I also love the okay. I'll meet you at the place near the thing where you want. Where, where, but we where, went that one time. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so good. Oh, but, oh, 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 sorry, if we're just doing lines, I also have to say uh, this is a brutal layoff, and all because they couldn't program Wednesday nights. Uh, you can make it less brutal by knocking a million or so off your salary. Yeah. Bad joke. I'm sorry. I mean, that's why you get Jack Nicholson. Like yeah, the yeah. look on Jack Nicholson's face when they suggest knocking a million or two off his salary mm-hmm. is just like well, that's not fucking stupid here. <laughs> There's no network without me. I guess yeah. I guess my thing is that like when they finally get called up to the plate, as it were, and they produce, the, you know, they inadvertently produce this incredible segment together. That is electric. It's the kind of bumbling through their day jobs before I understand like what the stakes are. Where I'm less when you just see Jane and Aaron just going about their day job. You know, I'm I'm kind of less into it. But like I think injecting Tom into it and like. Oh yeah, like I, th- I don't think this movie works if Tom, like if all three of them are so perfectly balanced, and it's not until yeah. Tom is kind of like there, because like obviously the first crackerjack scene of this movie, I think, is the one where Tom is like watching Jane mm-hmm. produce this last minute segment, and he's watching the two of them have this like incredible patter, and and Joan Cusack is like freaking the fuck out, and she's going like, <laughs> "We have eighty four seconds until this needs to be downstairs," yeah, and yeah. you are you are adding in a dissolve to a painting and adding in like more <laughs> lines from Aaron, like what the fuck are you doing yeah yeah life producing it i love her little power slide under the cabinet <laughs> that's so ridiculous but you need that kind of shit in a movie like this yeah well, I think I, it's it's so well written and so well characterized and like all of that is coming from brooks and these three actors who are just so incredibly cast 
And then every so often there is just something that kind of like heightens the world a little bit that just kind of like makes it really sing. And it is that like mm. run through the office where she runs into like 17 different things and still makes it in time. <laughs> Trips over a bin. And, like, yeah. like, again, like, again, just a thing we don't see much in comedies anymore where it's like just a little bit of like physical humor is like just bleeding through this this comedy, which is like very wordy, yeah, yeah. but also very dramatic. Like the, the, the main character of this movie, and I'm calling Holly Hunter the main character of this movie, despite being third build, which is is presumably just because when they're sorting out the credits for this movie, she doesn't have Raising Arizona yet. She is literally not the Holly Hunter who is going to be like one of the greats of her generation. But she is just so so good but like every so often they have to cut to her crying at her desk like she cries like four or five times throughout this movie and i I my partner turned to me and said like if i watched this like 15 years ago i would not have realized just how depressed she was but like everything it's such a perfect nailing of like someone who is so incredibly depressed but is putting on that brave face for for the job or whatever it is who is like literally coping with their depression because of how good they are at their job but like the job is all she has is is the thing and like you know she is only alive when they're on air or like they need to put something together or or whatever and it's those quiet moments where she's just sitting in a hotel room or like yeah sitting on the pier in the in nicaragua or whatever and just like and decompress and just weep. Yeah, like unplug my phone so no one can talk to me because obviously, like <laughs> you, you have the thing where like the conversations that her and Aaron are having every so often, and like, they're obviously debating the news and debating politics and stuff like that, and it's just so incredibly it's, flirtatious. Yeah, and but it's also probably quite draining. Um, yeah, like emotionally when you're already going through all this to make the damn thing in the first place, and like I think that's the difference is Aaron doesn't seem to be bothered by any of it he sees the whole thing as like a glib little yeah you know like when they're producing this thing he's calling in and he's he's making his little comments he's he's also providing like great flavor and suggestions and stuff i, but, like, I love that like he doesn't even cross his mind to tank this yeah like, like he isn't going to feed them wrong information he's calling up and you're like you could be better enough to like completely throw this off the rails no, but like that he some... cares he cares about the news more than he cares about yeah, <laughs> his his vendetta and like you know you do see the scene where Jane banishes is it Jennifer to <laughs> to yes. Alaska, which is the, the, the pettiest thing in this movie yeah. that I, I I just love where she's like she's not even focusing in the meeting yeah. and they present the two names to her and she's like Jennifer Jennifer she's yeah. got to be <laughs> because yeah like you know she meets she meets Tom Tom is a very good looking you know, William Hurt apparently a monster news to me but yes apparently not a good human being. Uh, but yeah, like he obviously like a very complicated individual who has obviously yeah. very recently passed away. Yeah, um, yeah. Regardless of any of that, like in his youth, a devastatingly handsome man. Um, this character is written to weaponize his his like downbeat charm kind of thing. The absolute most buck wild shot I've seen in a movie in a very long time. Penis shadow puppet. Yep, love it. Like what the shit? You would never. You would never see something like that. If you saw it today, it would be a quick cut away to like a prosthetic dick or something in a Judd Apatow movie. But like, yeah, like when she's like, do you do bunnies? And then they both look at the wall and I'm like, I I guess I like blinked and missed it the first time because I had to rewind. I was like, no, they do do the shadow of his very thick penis. (laughs) 
again, it's, it's a great again. It it the movie is horny in a way yeah. that like you don't have to sit through sex scenes, but you do get to see the chemistry of people in and around their sexuality, yeah. which I think is that thing that is missing from so many movies nowadays. And and again, that's the thing is like there's. The, the only nudity in this movie is the, is the shadow puppet penis and, and then butt. also and his butt. <laughs> like, the, the actress in the scene, Lois Charles is obviously in this scene, but she is covered up the entire time. You get She's to... holding, like, like, a pillow in front of her, isn't she? Yeah. Like, walking around her own house with a pillow in front of her as if they haven't just spent the last... Like, yeah, he's sweating yeah. so much. <laughs> like, why would you be walking into your closet, which presumably you've walked into naked many, many times in your life, <laughs> with a pillow covering yourself? Yeah. I have to be modest now. Yeah. Yeah, and like there is a there is an awkward real worldness to the set. Like they're like, let's let's have fun with it kind of thing. Mm. Um, where like he does make this really awkward boob grab at Jane later on, and then she's like, well, at least kiss me when you're doing this. <laughs> this is just weird. <laughs> but no, like as I said, like you know, she she despises him. She hates herself for being so horny for him. Aaron is making fun of her for this. Like, he must be really good looking because we don't invite ugly idiots to our hotel rooms <laughs> kind of thing. And, like, she just can't... Like, he's openly... For a while, he is, like... He is also attracted to her and is yeah. also, like, like really does want to sleep with her. But he's mm-hmm. like, I respect you too much professionally and I want your advice to be better at my job, which is why yeah. he's kind of, like, holding off. Yeah. Like, And she... Yeah, so, like... It's very clear he's he's into her, but like he also does keep not kissing her and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, when the few times he does just openly court her, kind of thing, she blows it because she always has to go and see Aaron. Yep. And there's there's that scene where like you know they nail it and and yeah, it's after it's after he anchors and they nail it and they will go out celebrating afterwards. He is <laughs> she's sitting in her office chair. And he I want just... to be inside your mind. <laughs> yes, he's like pulling her chair back and forward and saying it's like the rhythm of good sex. And it's like, woman, if you don't fuck him, I will. And yeah, yeah she goes see Aaron. She's like, oh, I'll drop by afterwards and everything will be fine. This is how I've produced this moment in my life. And then she turns up and everyone's left and he's going home with Jennifer. And, it's... and then she tries to play it off because being embarrassed is the worst thing in the world. Like, she will never be pitied by anyone. And she's like, no, I'll just go have a burger by myself. And he even's like, oh, we can come back in with you. And she's like, no, 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 fuck off. I'm going to have a burger by myself. It's like, this is an unbelievable scenario that you would drive all the way down here or, or leave where you were to come and get a burger at a restaurant where we all were and now aren't. But, like, that's her pride. And then they fuck and she banishes her to Alaska. Very funny. It's um, hugely funny. I mean, like, I mean, like most movies with a love triangle, this is a movie where really, as we said, like there are two there are three outcomes of this movie. One which the movie goes for, which is they all get scattered to the wind. One is which they have a professionally fulfilling career together where they all play off each other and like come together for an understanding. And one is which the three of them just fuck and they get <laughs> over with. Like which like, Yeah, there's again, a little bit of energy between uh, Tom and Aaron, maybe. There is. I mean um, they they definitely have a flirtatious energy. Like I feel like if you made this movie nowadays someone would probably pitch like make this a full love triangle. I mean, there was a TikTok I saw recently, which was like, no love triangle you've ever seen is ever actually a love triangle, unless it's a little bit gay. Yeah, I mean, the, the like... <laughs> you can't have a love triangle, it's just two, it's it's two people in love with the same person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a line and one person's in the middle, the other on opposite ends, and the true triangle, they would have to have energy as well. And yeah, like he's like, I'm going to miss you, you're like such a prick. <laughs> yep. It's like, that's a really good compliment, thank you. Yeah, and and I guess we should talk about Aaron a little bit more because like, how wasn't Albert Brooks a huge fucking star? Like, I mean, like, obviously he directs movies, and yeah. 
but like he pops up and I think the only reason he gets this role is because he's good friends with James L. Brooks obviously in the early days of The Simpsons no relation right no no relation he is the secret weapon yes of early Simpsons yeah um, He's like the most devastatingly funny guy that you have no idea who he is, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, at this point, his most famous role is almost definitely Finding Nemo. Yes, yes, Marlon. But, like, also, you know, he's Hank Scorpio. He's, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, Hank Scorpio, who was supposed to come back for the movie, but they replaced it with Russ Cargill, but is still voiced okay. by, by Albert yeah. Brooks. Yeah. And then, obviously, like, he's fucking phenomenal in Drive, where he should have got an Oscar <laughs> nomination. Um, yeah. At this point, he's probably, like, I don't even know, like, because he's, he's, He's flitting around Saturday Night Live, yeah. as are quite a few people in this movie, like yeah. flitting around Saturday Night Live. He was in terms of endearment as a voice role. He had directed Lost in America. Like He's directed three movies at this point. He's directed Real Life, Modern Romance, and Lost in America, which is presumably why he gets second build on this film. Yeah. But like, really up until this point, the only things that he does are things where things for like James L. Brooks, and then stuff that he's written and directed himself. Yeah. And then and then kind of like he... The, it does feel like there is a world in which he should have had a monster career as something. And now it's just kind of like he shows up every so often in, in something. And I mean, he's really hot in this movie as well. Like maybe not quite as hot as as um, Hurt is, but like he's still really hot. <laughs> yeah, he's that like, you know, it's, it's, it's like... There are many people who are like a little bit in love with Matthew Perry kind of thing, mm. and it's like you know, obviously Ross is is positioned as as the romantic lead, and Chandler's just going to be the like funny loser. And it's like yeah, but women like a funny loser sometimes. But I mean, like, there's a reason he can't why, be aware of it; otherwise, it it ruins it. You know, there's a reason why only one of the like the three male friends has a fulfilling long term relationship on the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if he were ever aware that he's charming, it would it would ruin it. Like he he is oblivious to his own charm, whereas Tom is like a person who is all about appearance and is very aware that he's a good looking man and and like conducts himself as I am a good looking man. Hello, nice to meet you. It is just such a fascinating dynamic between the three of them because like Aaron wants to have a shot at anchoring. He has been told he doesn't test well, and you know this is his dream throughout the whole thing. And like you know you've got. Tom trying to do what he does and create his own piece start to finish, which is that date rate piece, which comes back around. But Aaron gets his shot when uh, everyone's going to the White House correspondence dinner and Tom helps him get ready for it and gives, you know... And I, I think it's such an important scene because, like, Aaron... I, like, I love all the scenes of those two together. Like, yeah. There's the scene, obviously, earlier on at the party where, like, they step outside for a second. Oh, yeah, can you name and... all 12 members of cabinet? Yes, there's 10. <laughs> goodbye like because it's so it's so petty of him and like he, and then like as tom leaves he's like do you want to do state capitals next he's like yeah sure it's like 50 of them isn't it <laughs> yeah, like, it's a very good like look i'm not as clever as you but like i can match your energy at least like wit is is a i will forever say that like wit is a measure of intelligence like more than anything that is any letters written on a piece of paper is like how quick your mind is kind of thing is, yeah. a, is a type of intelligence and clearly tom is a very witty man he just isn't armed with like nine thousand facts about congress um, no that's like only very sick people can come to things like off the top of their head yeah. with like all that facts and information yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that scene is so important because I think Aaron views the act of actually just sitting in the chair and reading it 
is laughable. Um, it's a minor skill. I mean, yes. it's why he's on the bad side of Jack Nicholson because he made the joke about his receding hairline and all the rest of it, <laughs> which is what's got him blacklisted from yeah. like when when Bill calls in to to compliment Jane and she's like, oh yeah, but Aaron really helped as well. And then he's like, oh, always trying to give away the credit, aren't you? Mm. <laughs> just hangs up on it. He's very busy. He's got something to do. Yeah, <laughs> and just humming to himself. Yeah, and like yeah, Aaron sees the actual act of sitting in the chair on the camera and reading it as as an afterthought. That is autopilot. The real work is in producing the stories, you know, in the first place. Well, not he writes stories. Jane, he, he writes. Jane he, I mean, he, he literally says like he writes this fantastic copy, and everyone is like, "Boy, oh, it's a this joy is, to read." This yeah. is some of the best copy I've ever read for a new story. Yeah. And then when he starts reading the news, he's reading it well. Like I don't think he's like. But he's reading it well after Tom has coached him. Oh, very true. Because oh, when they start, he's bad. And then yeah. he's like, oh, by the end of it, you were doing really well. And then he just cannot handle the the bright lights, the like the literally bright lights. And I assume they they just literally just turn the lights up, and he just sweated his foot. Yeah. I mean, I love. I think the last thing is like they they pin up be disastrous. And obviously, it would be disastrous if you're watching this thing. But like, I think back to like Lee Evans. Yeah, Lee uh, Evans, the sweatiest human being that has ever lived, and like a toweringly successful stand-up for a while for no reason because he's got one joke for this industry. And like, it's bad that this is a, a make-or-break moment. He he tanks it like he fucks mm. it completely, and like the sweatier he gets, the worse he gets at reading the copy, and like. You know, they're bringing him new shirts, but they've got 10 seconds, so they have to just take them away again. And he's like, is it noticeable? While well, he's like, got all these giant like stains he's got, he's got on the his giant, shirt. The giant sweat patches, the fact that the neckline is just absolutely drenched. Yeah. It's running through the makeup. He's blinking because the sweat's running down his <laughs> eye. I have to assume they've got, like, little tubes in his hair, um, <laughs> just, like, spraying water down his face. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's a, like, I love it because, again, it is heightened but it feels like a real thing that could happen yeah. like they're not then it isn't like he's something... never done it before like that's the thing tom came up from local like he was a sports anchor and and all of this sort of stuff he's put in his reps and aaron is trying this live for the first time on on live washington news and even then like what the stuff that he's done where he's been on the news before because obviously he has been on television this isn't yeah, the first yeah, time yeah. he's been on television he's doing stuff that's pre-recorded yep there's an edit. If it isn't working, they can like cut away to some B-roll footage and come yeah. back at the end. Like even if if he's nailed the lines, yeah. if he's doing something awkward, there's there's leeway there in terms yeah. of how it's how it's being worked. And I guess it feels like it's just him and his good friend slash love interest Jane, and they're just what's the best way this thing could look? Cool, let's do this. Yeah, that's that works, right? Whereas this is like, right, everyone in the world is watching you go, and he just, yeah, can't do it. And that does kind of set him free a little bit, and I think it emboldens him to quit at the end. But yeah, like, you know, and then even the draw, like, that moment, like, you know, she, Jane has finally, like, like okay, we're going to go together, and she gets all dressed up, and she goes over to Aaron's ahead of time to help him pick his suit, and she's like, can you at least pretend that this is awkward for you because you're on a, you're going on a date with another man? And had he already tried to kiss her earlier at this point? Like, he, like, drunkenly kisses her, and, yeah, like, yeah. she doesn't completely push him away, but she just kind of, like, breaks the kiss and well, laughs. Like, there's, there's that... There's that interesting dynamic between the two of them where it's, it's a little bit more touchy feeling than you'd imagine from like mm-hmm. a like a traditional kind of like monogamous kind of like viewpoint of the world. Yeah, where it's, like there's a familiarity like, that is yeah, like but like there's, there's like, raising. <laughs> there's a bit where like he kisses her on the arm and then they yeah. like go off and do something else, and it's like like in some circles this kind of intimacy would not be kind of looked down upon. But obviously, yeah, when well, you're presenting it in 
people are now reminded children, aren't they? Um. <laughs> but yeah, like when you're presenting it in this movie, where obviously the, the dynamic is this is traditional in terms of like these are friends, these are people who have like sexual tension. It mm-hmm. is interesting the ways in which they're like bursting at the seams to kind of like physically touch each other in ways that are like skirting the edges of like socially acceptable for yeah. a platonic relationship yeah yeah and it's it's got that like only you understand me thing and, and yeah but like she's helping him get ready ahead of time and she promises to go over and see him when he's finished and while she's there he's having the worst moment of his life and she finally is kissing tom and then like it gets a bit weird because he's like yeah but he basically is like i'd love to be inside you yeah <laughs> and like he's grabbing her boob in a weird way and all of this stuff and you know you can see a world where like he has the worst moment of his life and she finally goes for something she wants and she's not there for him and he holds it against her but they don't go that way no um, she's she's still always there for him like yeah. they, they 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 do pride this relationship incredibly yeah. and and the thing is he has this total fucking meltdown at her yeah, in the house, and like he is at his worst in this movie, and yeah. I, I, I love like because no matter how bad Tom is and how much he's disappointed with the Tom in a professional context, he's never like this in their personal life. And and Aaron, on the other hand, like he has been flirting up a storm with women. Like there's the line earlier on in the movie where like I can't remember what it is that he says to 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 Joan Cusack, but like she goes like, I can't believe I found you attractive. And he goes like, wait, this changes everything. I need to... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. If they're ever aware of their charm, it ruins it. But yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, and like, yeah, that is he... probably the difference is that like, you know, he isn't holding it against any woman for not finding him attractive or anything. But like, yeah, he has his big boiling point meltdown. He's not like slut shaming her. He is judging her choice of like, it's Tom's like character that he doesn't agree with. And, like, judging her choices and, like, holding her to a standard when it's none of his business, really. That is where it gets, like, ugly between the two of them. Um, and it's real. Like, this happens all the time. Mm. Um, you see people who are, like, disappointed that their that their nerdy friend has got a crush on the jock or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but, like, women horny, you know? <laughs> like, like, he's a good-looking man and she's she's a human being. And it's not his place to to judge her choices, but he does. And I love the thing of like, and I'm in love with you. There, I buried the lead, kind of yep. <laughs> like yep. keeping it newsy, even in these biggest moments. And then it ruins it with Tom a bit as well because she was just like, "Oh yeah," and then I'll come over to your place, and he's like, "No, fuck you. I'm not like your prop to like be directed in our personal life." They do kind of keep it together from there, but like it is a very she realizes that she needs to mend the friendship with yeah, with yeah. Aaron more than she needs to go see Tom that night. But obviously, it's like what we know of where it's going to go from here. Like this means that she, like her and Tom, never get to consummate this relationship yeah. essentially. But it's also like she she doesn't put it to him that way, kind of thing. Mm. She is just like this is how it will be, and this is the optimum way for it to happen, and that's that. And he doesn't she doesn't consider Tom's feelings in the matter. And like yeah, it probably is important that you hash this out with Aaron but like to just tell Tom yeah you just wait there and I'll be there that's where it she's not like completely cold and unfeeling it's just there are things like that where she just doesn't get this is a moment where you need to be a human being (laughs) Mm. Uh, and she's trying to be a human being with Aaron she just in the way she's delivering it to Tom 
he's like an afterthought. Almost. She almost has like a, she has a familiarity there with Aaron that she isn't willing to like let yeah. go of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I love the way that like when Tom calls up the house and she's in there talking to to each other, and then he's like, I I really want to talk to Aaron. Like I re- like he's really invested in like yeah. this guy having a good time of it. Although he's obviously he's seen the tape. He's like, I taped it. I saw how much of a train wreck it was. <laughs> But, like, he does want to give advice or give, like, props and stuff like that. Like, it, there is, a, I don't want to call it genuine affection, but there is, like, an actual investment in the three of them being good at their jobs between yes. the three of them, which is really endearing, even whilst their personal lives are, like, in complete fucking meltdown. Yeah. And then, obviously, the next day is when the layoffs happen. Yeah, and... yeah the big layoff scene that we talked, I mean, we already basically discussed that, but, like, Aaron, of all the people, is, like, the safest because they're like, well, you're fucked, so you're never going to get more money than this, so you're you're cheap. Um, but then he's like, no, fuck it, I quit. They give Jane the job of... No, yeah, Ernie Rob Prosky, who obviously yeah. we, we discussed on the Thief episode. Rob Prosky, a man who <laughs> like alternates between the biggest, kindest, cuddly man in the world and then can also be like monster, an outrageous... Yeah, villain. yeah like, <laughs> great. I love yeah. love Prosky. Like, just a great kind of like steady hand in the yeah. background of this movie. Like Not asked to do much, but just like keeps yeah, keeps yeah, the trains yeah. on time, essentially, in this Yeah, and like, you know, the... The, there's moments like where like they hug and she's like and he's like we respect each other too much to to lie to each other or whatever and mm. there's even a it's very touchy feely there but like it's completely innocent yeah um, i mean i love his bit where he's like knowing that you're taking over takes the sting out of me being made redundant even if i know you're not as good as i am no she's like, like no he, he says you're no better than i am or yeah, yeah and she's like yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there might be some subtext that, like, she's cheaper than him because she's a woman, that, like, Jack Nicholson has a very tiny tiny thing for her, so it's like, oh, give her the... Well, that's the thing, is like, you watch all the scenes earlier on in the movie when, like, you know they have to save this 24 million, and you see Paul's reaction to, to her producing the scene, and you mm-hmm. see the way that Bill compliments her on the phone and stuff like that, and then it leads up to the scene where it's just like, oh, they are they are doing this thing where they are grooming you for for bigger and better positions. They want to keep yeah. keep future proofing themselves. Is yeah. why, uh, as I'm sure about to say, like Tom is being sent off to London, and yes. like at first Tom's all sad because he's going off to London, which is presumably just because he wants to carry on a relationship with who yeah. will be his boss now. Um, yeah, and everyone else <laughs> probably would have ruined it anyway, and she would be like, "You 100 percent know." She would be like, "Well, now I'm your boss. This can't continue." Yeah, um, and he would be like, "No, I disagree." And yeah, all that. But, yeah. And he then... feels he's being banished, and then it's Aaron who's like, "Oh, dude, no, that's like, <laughs> that's why Rorish, Jack Nicholson was was, you know, they're grooming you. You're going to be the new Jack Nicholson one day." I do, I do wonder what the I'm trying to figure out what like the like for like is because obviously mm. there are US and UK international branches of like news news companies and stuff like that obviously the bbc's got bbc worldwide which has stations everywhere i'm pretty sure and i'm about bbc america and stuff yeah yeah. and then but i'm just trying to figure out is there an equivalent for like an american journalist i feel there's like a cnn office in the uk yeah i mean obviously like like, yeah there's there's little tiny ones but i'm just like is that is that promotion in the same way to be heading up the i guess it is like to head up the headline news channel equivalent of this in the UK it's is like probably a soft quite... launch kind of thing. Yeah, like it, it's it's them and all of their standards and and what they're looking for, but it's in a much smaller scale for a small. I mean, I guess Weekend Anchor would have been a more because I mean, I assume Jack Nicholson is meant to be the the weekday anchor, and then you'd have a weekend one, or like you'd have the late news versus the early kind of thing, which is what it is like in the newsroom. But 
Either way. I mean, it's, it's so weird to think, especially in, like, the UK, where we've had, like, people <laughs> being hosting the news for, like, hours on end because our country has been in turmoil for, like, three months now or whatever. Where, like, Let Hugh mo- Edwards sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Just on air for 40 hours reporting on the Queen. But yes, they and Aaron goes and, and gets himself a job for local TV in Portland. Yeah, they are all, they are all split up, and everyone is sad, but kind of still happy. And Tom has said, hey, you must have time off. And she's got a ridiculous amount because she never takes a break in her whole life. And he's like, yeah, let's go away for a week. And they're going to do this. And it's going to be all great and normal and fun. And then Aaron drops that bombshell that he had asked innocuously at some point. Hey, did you just have one camera for that that piece you produced on the date rape? He's like, yeah. Doesn't think twice about it. Doesn't think why there would be an alter ego there. And he tells her. And it's like, on one level, it's like, this is... This is the action of the man who lost. And he like makes the joke. Like, how, what's it like to be on the world's longest winning streak? Kind of. Thing. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, yeah, it is like the action of a guy who lost to like sling mud at the last moment. But on the other, he's like, I think I did the right thing by telling you. And I think you would want to know. And she does want to know that like, yeah, he, when you see the piece, it's cut, it's, it's a, it's a short reverse shot where this woman is telling this harrowing story. I do like actually that like, Jane is like that's very relatable and I'm like very conservative about sex but like yeah it touched me and like John Cusack is like oh this happened to my cousin and, and I mean it, that's the thing is like they, they know that that's an important moment and the movie yeah. doesn't belittle it whatsoever no, like exactly people people having an emotional reaction to the news isn't inherently bad it's if you manufacture exactly the yeah. emotional experience and is... Aaron in the moment is like I'm glad we cut away to you and like she acknowledges it. she's like you know the decision to cut away to you is not one I would have made but it was powerful and then we learn that like yeah he he was almost crying when he was nodding along and then his on set producer is like oh I'm so sorry we didn't get you crying like it, you almost thought you were gonna cry and he's like hang on a second <laughs> and they just you know what they're going to shoot is just him nodding it's like does it even need this and that's kind of the crux of of their philosophical debate in the first place the three of them that like you know Aaron is constantly like, oh thank goodness we've got you in the shot. Yeah, why yeah. why are you putting why, like he doesn't want to put any personality into it? Yes. Hot Jane is like more open to personality but still wants it to feel real and then Tom is like who cares if it's real as long as it feels real and like yes. again it it's different to and I can't believe I'm doing this just as we're probably heading into wrap up. It's different <laughs> to Sorkin doing the thing where like all the characters are espousing a, a viewpoint. These characters are espousing a viewpoint but it feels intrinsically related to to who they are as people and it makes sense and tracks with their decisions and the way that they've acted throughout the entire movie this isn't a perfectly written speech about with all all angles considered and one of them beaten down by the other kind of thing because they don't really say tom's wrong for doing this and tom doesn't think he's wrong for doing this and and ultimately he gets to be the the, he gets to be the head anchor seven years later for for the network in new york and jane is going to be his boss finally after seven years apart and and aaron has done exactly what he said where like he would have a wife and kid and and he would meet jane in a and and they would go like what's this fat sad woman yes which is uh, it's a good gentle little joke but yeah you know like that he says and they tease us with it at the end because you know obviously you know she goes to meet him at the airport and she's like you did this thing he admits it he feels there's nothing wrong with it and she just can't abide it and they break up and we cut to years later and you know he is giving you see Tom giving the speech and he's like and here's my fiance like, 
Lila. I was like, okay, right, it's not him. And then you see you see Albert Brooks in the crowd, and he's got a kid. And you're like, okay, who's ki- who's the mother? And there's like, it's not Shane either. <laughs> like, and none of them ended up with her. And it is just sort of three old friends coming back together and it's almost like god can you believe this was our life at one point and now yeah. we're just completely different people like, like this this tom is weird... clearly like fucking jazzed to see jane and i think oh, jane so is totally less enthused to see, you know she's like ah you're from that time in my life yeah i, I love <laughs> that like the digs at her like her new partner that she's been seeing for three months he's like trying to get her into like into water sports or whatever <laughs> Not that water sports thing. Yes, no, not that. Not in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's very much like now she's separated from the heightened tension of that environment and now that she's like gotten over the like, God, he's handsome part, she's she's able to objectively be like, look, I want good things for you, but I feel nothing for you anymore. And like, that's that. And he's like desperate, like, oh, hey. <laughs> and even Aaron, like, you know, he's got the kid and everything and... They end up just sort of like sitting together on the bench and everything and just talking. And it's like, yeah. look, we've reached a point where they can talk and there's, there's nothing more to well, it. I mean, it. But it's exactly what our relationship says. Like, we'll yeah. meet up for dinner every like three to four years and like <laughs> we'll have this urge to jump each other, but we never will. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, or when I meet your partner and you meet my partner, like, they will, they will just think of us as friends and they won't know that there is underlying <laughs> tension, but like, we know that we're like never going to act on it. And it's, it's, the, Again, it's it's a gloriously rapport is unique. You know, yeah. it can't be helped. Your chemistry with it with every dynamic in your life is different. Like you and I talk to each other differently than I than we do to our other friends. Mm. And whether it's romantic, sexual, platonic, familial, whatever it is, you have a different vibe with everybody. And like, there is nothing you can do about it if people just have like a good witty back and forth. Yeah, and it's it's it doesn't genuinely... have to mean anything. It's just. It's... I love it. It's glorious. It's messy. It's human. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the best realized like real person movies I've I've yeah. seen in a long time. I and think that this is, is... A, that is a great way to to end this. That like this movie that starts off with like kind of these robotic non feeling people ends up maybe the most human movie we've covered in a very long time, if yeah. ever, on the podcast. Yeah, like that's, <laughs> and that's, I think that's why it's like. I mean, and again, it's the beauty. It's the beauty of this that bleeds into The Simpsons as well, yeah. where like The Simpsons is the ultimate satire and parody of like the nuclear family, or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. also at times one of the most touching and deep and profound yeah. family and comedies ever. Yeah, that's the stuff that like the legend of the first ten seasons or like seasons two to nine or, or whatever you want to, you know, the golden era. You can go to so many like incredible jokes from like you know a cacophony of like these incredible writers who were all caught at the right time in their careers but there are just so many moments you can list off that like there's just so much heart in that moment and it's so real um and they allow themselves to do that and it's moving i mean you think about is is life on the fast lane the first brooks guest spot where he plays Jacques, the um, the the bold, the bold guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, and again, like, it's, it's that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Where, like, even that is like a proto form of like what would become yeah. the the greatness of The Simpsons. But it is still this like yeah. messy familial drama where like one woman is unfulfilled and and yeah. finds her fulfillment with a with a very good French bowler. <laughs> it, it's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch. Um, <laughs> 
you don't get exactly what you're looking at. And anyway, we can't. Yeah, this movie rules. Thank you for putting it on the list. I'm really glad I got to see it finally. Um, yeah, I think I think this is my favorite movie in 1987. Like, like of all the... Like, I I, I oh, yeah. so much. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are done with 1987 now, and now we begin a very long sojourn into 1988. We're doing four episodes in this year, so if you're following along and you're not looking at my letterbox when I post the movies, uh, try and guess what the four movies are we're doing. But first of all, we are doing Akira from 1988, the first animated movie we are ever covering <laughs> together. Yeah, there's going to have to be a lot of uh, explanation of why that is true. Uh, next week, I feel. I'm excited. Are like, we also going to be douching, say, Akira? Or are we going to just Akira. say Akira like normal people? We're going to say Akira. I'm not going to yeah, say Akira. Cool. Akira. No. Uh, I, mean, I will not. On. Have you have you read the manga? No. Yeah, don't don't try and read it before next week, please. I, oh, obviously. <laughs> oh, right. In my typical <laughs> Maverick slash Blade Runner style. Um, no, I won't be reading like, yeah, it's, 12 it's, volumes or whatever it is. It's so of fucking long. I, and, like, I think... That, it's what well, how many it's six volumes but it's like so many pages i know the broad strokes of like what's different and all yeah, that yeah. but again we'll we'll talk about that next we will week. talk about that next week uh but yeah this has been broadcast news next week is akira matthew mm-hmm. i've got a question for you oh god will there be movies okay now you're going to want to say that again but this time you want to really hit that movies in the line and uh, you know what say it however you want no but say movies thank you bye bye everyone <laughs> I didn't know